Finding a service solution that helps you keep customers happy can feel impossible. Just like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at a networking event. HubSpot's all-new Service Hub can help, with the service solution part at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform, with an AI-powered help desk and chatbot to handle your frontline tickets, so you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. What's going on, everyone? It's Friday, January 13th. Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. I'm Zachary Crockett. I've got Juliet Bennett-Riley with me today, and you're listening to The Hustle Daily Show. Today, there's some serious stuff going down on J.P. Morgan Chase's mergers and acquisitions team. Apparently, the bank got duped into paying $175 million for a company that was, as it turns out, built on a foundation of fake users and lies. Juliet's got the story, but first, let's take a look at what else is going on in tech and business. Congress rejected a $400 million request from the U.S. Army to buy 6,900 Microsoft HoloLens combat goggles. Apparently, there were some issues with field tests, but the government also approved $40 million to develop a new model. So Microsoft isn't uh, SOL on that one. Prince Harry's memoir, Spare, sold 1.4 million copies on its first day out across the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., It's now the UK's fastest-selling nonfiction book in history, and the publisher, Penguin Random House, says that the book also had the highest first-day sales ever. The previous record was Barack Obama's A Promised Land in 2020. Sotheby's is putting a Kobe Bryant jersey up for auction that's expected to sell for up to $7 million. The late NBA star wore that jersey in 25 games during his 2007-2008 MVP season. A nursing strike involving 7,000 nurses in New York City is over after three days. That deal will include safer staffing ratios so that nurses have more sustainable levels of support. And on the note of labor, the National Labor Relations Board has certified the Amazon Labor Union. Amazon must now bargain a contract, and we will keep an eye on that as it develops. And lastly, ex-FTX founder Sam Bakeman-Fried, who has been accused of orchestrating a multi-billion dollar fraud, is out under house arrest on a $250 million bail. And now we know how he's spending his time indoors. He's blogging about his defense on a substack called SBF Substack. And his first post is what he calls a pre-mortem overview of FTX. And it includes all kinds of numbers and charts if you want to go down that rabbit hole. Today, though, we're talking about a different alleged fraud that just went down, and the allegations, if true, are kind of a doozy. Juliet, you want to fill us in here? Yes. So essentially, back in September of 2021, J.P. Morgan Chase paid $175 million for Frank, which was a college financial aid platform where you could apply for financial aid, enroll in online courses, stuff like that. Hmm. However, if you go to Frank today, it'll tell you to just fill out your FAFSA on studentaid.gov. Okay. Because apparently, according to J.P. Morgan Chase and their lawsuit against its founder, Charlie Jabez, a lot of what they bought the company on was not true. So at the time, Frank claimed to have about 4.25 million customers, which is a lot. J.P. Morgan Chase asked the founders if they could prove those numbers as part of their due diligence. 
Apparently what happened is Charlie Javisa first was like, no, I can't provide you with a customer list because of privacy laws. Like, sure, I can't show you sure. those things. And they were like, well, you have to. And then, of course, she produces this list that shows that she has over 4 million users. But when JPMorgan Chase later sent emails to about 400,000 users, almost all of them bounced back. In their court documents, they said they normally get like a 99% of their emails are at least delivered. In this case, sure. it was sent more like 28%, Oof, yikes. implying that these emails were not real. So they went and did a little digging. And this is what I find most interesting is apparently when they made the acquisition, they got access to the founders' emails, mm -hmm. which they were able to read. And some of them allegedly are pretty damning. The allegations are that Javis asked her engineering chief to make fake accounts up so that she could continue this claim that she had over 4 million users. Mm -hmm. But that engineer was like, no, I won't do that. So instead, she paid a data science professor about $18,000 hmm. to do it for her. And in one email, she allegedly wrote, will the fake emails look real with an eye check or better to use unique ID? Yikes, that's pretty damning. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, fake emails. That's about as damning as you can get. And then her co-founder, whose name is Olivier Amar, I believe, is accused of paying a marketing firm about $105,000 for a data set of 4.5 million students. Hmm. So basically, JP Morgan is like, she inflated this number to make it look like her company was more valuable. She actually only had less than 300,000 users at a time. She's trying to say that they're lying because they owe her millions of dollars, which JP Morgan Chase obviously denies. Wow. So they're actually denying that this happened despite the email evidence, um, the evidence of payments that were made, and this morally righteous engineer who decided not to participate in the scheme as well. <laughs> yeah, I guess her claim is that they wanted her to violate privacy laws and she said no. So she's kind of more of a whistleblower than anything. And <laughs> I, I don't know. I just interesting. Assuming these emails are true, and it's hard for me to believe that JP Morgan Chase would file a claim based on emails that they couldn't prove were true, it is pretty damning for her. Now, when did JP Morgan Chase require Frank for $175 million? So that was in late 2021, September. And okay. I've heard reports that she founded it in 2016, 2017. I read multiple dates. So she'd been at it for a while before the sale. So even prior to the acquisition, there were some questions raised about Frank. Yeah. So there were a couple of members of Congress that were like, you know, this maybe doesn't make anything easier for students. It just adds more work for financial aid administrators. They were worried about whether or not the company was potentially selling student data. And then there's a letter you can read from the FTC, apparently, where they were concerned that Frank was potentially misleading customers about a couple of things. Yikes. So, <laughs> and this was happening in 2020. This FTC letter is like misleading students about CARES Act emergency assistance and cash advance product. Mm. There were apparently a few things where it was kind of like, hey, maybe we should take a look at this. But JP Morgan Chase bought them anyway. So Yeah. And that really like raises the big question for me, which is I know $175 million is probably fairly small potatoes for JPMC, but I mean, wouldn't they do their due diligence before making that kind of acquisition? Yeah, and that's interesting because the court documents talk about, you know, demanding this list from her as, as part of their due diligence because she didn't want right, to give them right. that, according to them. Okay. So whatever list she gave them, apparently it was good enough that it passed their due diligence. But I, mm. I did read a couple of people whose opinion is that, well, obviously it's embarrassing for her because she's kind of like this high-flying Forbes 30 under 30. Oh, wow, look at me. I'm a great entrepreneur. And now sure. she's potentially getting caught in what may be a lie. But it's also embarrassing for them because they fell for it. Hmm. So she had the sort of startup founder pedigree of being on the 30 under 30 list. Yes, which uh, I think Mark pointed this out earlier today on Twitter, the stonks.com account, which is always pretty funny. It was talking about other 30 under 30 people 
Sam Bankman Freed, Martin Trelli. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, who else was on there? Carolyn Ellison was on there, the other founder of FTX. Yes. Yeah. Some people that have definitely uh, done or are likely going to do some jail time. <laughs> it's like that inverse <laughs> Jim Cramer thing where every time he says a stock is bad, it's actually going to mm-hmm. be good. Yeah. Maybe if you're on 30 under 30, uh, <laughs> it's a harbinger of things to come. Yeah. And it's kind of mind blowing because I have to wonder what was going through her head at the time. I mean, Somewhere in the court documents, which are online, you can read them, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase is like, she had all these opportunities to tell us the truth, but she just kept digging. Mm. And I feel like it's almost like a sitcom type thing. Like, did she just get to a point where she had to make up the $4 million? Or it's just like, I, yeah. I think a lot of people have a fake it until you make it mentality. But I generally think of that as like, you know, maybe you don't feel as confident in a certain position, but you'll learn on the way you'll get there. Uh, not I'm going to fabricate 4 million people. <laughs> yeah. And you read through this court document. Uh, it's 53 pages. It lays out the complaint and all the details of the case. Were you sort of surprised going through this to see all the evidence laid out and know that JPMC missed some of this stuff? I guess, but I also, you know, just to be honest, don't really even know that much about like what due diligence would entail. Sure. Like if it could just be satisfied with seeing a list and you're like, oh, these are names and email addresses and addresses and sure. whatever, and they look right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe part of it is like you just wouldn't assume someone would do something like this. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, it checks out. looks great. I don't know. But then when you look at the emails where it seems like they're just so blatantly talking about this fraud, I guess is what you would call it. It does seem pretty shocking. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the last 12 months, there's been a lot of conversation around due diligence with Musk's acquisition of Twitter, Mm -hmm. you know, just straight up offering to buy the company without really even looking at the numbers. And then later on, claiming that he was sort of duped by the fake account numbers. And that sparked a whole debate of you know, how much of that is on him for not doing the due diligence, you know? Mm-hmm. And secondly, are those claims even true? But this is another interesting case. Yeah, I don't know. It makes me wonder with all these founders who keep getting in trouble or maybe even if they don't get in trouble, they like overspend and overpromise. And then they mm-hmm. have like these falls from grace, like the Adam Newman of WeWork. It's just sure. like, I don't know. Uh, it seems like maybe there's something wrong with the culture <laughs> there of like, yeah. you know what? You don't really have to grow that fast. It's not happening. <laughs> like, yeah, it's okay. I mean, 300,000 users in, in Frank's case is still pretty good. Yeah. Like build from that and just take your time. You know, I think you said she started this company in like 2016, 2017 or something. Yeah, and she was very it's young. It's like four or five freaking years, like, mm-hmm. you know, for a $175 million exit. Like, it's okay if it takes you more than four years to make $100 bucks, you know? Yeah. And it's not, you know, a horrible idea. Obviously, I couldn't really go through and see how Frank worked because it's offline. But I do remember what a pain it was to fill out all my FAFSA stuff when Mm -hmm. I was going to college. And, you know, it's a great idea to simplify that for people. And I think you could have your heart in the right place doing something like that. But then you just get too far ahead of yourself. Yeah. Well, my last takeaway from this story is that engineer that she originally went to and asked to forge all these numbers who declined Give that person a raise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wherever they are now. And, yeah. you know, if she had listened to that person, uh, probably would have saved herself some trouble. <laughs> yep. I'm also curious if the data scientists, because these people are not named in the court documents. They're just referred to as the, the data science professor okay. and the engineer or whatever. I'm curious if that person is liable in any way, because did they know they were doing something wrong? I don't know. Same. I'm very curious about that. Yeah, I had the same question when I read through it. It's not looking good for that person. I'll say that. <laughs> Um, Yeah. Yeah. Not great. 
All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning into the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today is Robert Hartwig and our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage for you in our newsletter. And if you're not subscribed, you can go find it over at hustle.co slash email. Enjoy the long weekend and we'll catch you back on Tuesday. Hey, everybody, I got a great podcast to tell you about. It's called Truth, Lies, and Work, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this show, you can join husband and wife team Alan, Leanne, Elliot, as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. They actually just did an episode with John Smith, who is the manager and agent of famous Argentinian soccer player Diego Maradona. He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts.